What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Building Code. I'm Charlie Bertwistle, and today I'm joined by not Zach, but... Courtney Matern. Heck yeah. Very <laughs> exciting. We've heard the feedback from the listeners. We want more Courtney. We want more Courtney is what everyone's saying. So we brought back more Courtney. How are you doing today? I'm great. Yeah, I'm sure it's I'm, I'm back by popular demand or actually because Zach is really important to him to be at a conference. I'm not sure which one. Oh, yeah. It's not even a builder trend. Con- like he's going, he's attending a conference, not even hosting one. Oh, darn. That has nothing to do with <laughs> importance level. That's just a vacation in my books. I mean, he's kind of important, right? Yeah, um, I suppose. I just don't like to give compliments to him when he's not here because what's the point? Um, But in all honesty, uh, both my mom and my dad know you now as uh, not just the girl on the podcast, but Courtney, the girl from the podcast. So you are... Wow, I'm famous at the Burt Whistle House. You are. Yeah, we'll probably talk about you at Thanksgiving in a couple days. I kind of feel like Beyonce now. Well, I guess when this is released, Thanksgiving would have been a couple months ago. So we're dating ourselves a bit there, but (laughs) we're ahead of the game. Uh, it's a fantastic day in the studio, and we have a fantastic guest today. Today, we have Saif El Sali, um, who is joining us from the great north Canada. Uh, Going to talk about some very exciting stuff. Courtney, are you excited? Yeah, I'm really excited. He's talking tiny homes, and that always gets my brain going because I always have like a long list of dream home projects I yeah. want to, to do, and that's one of them. There you go. Well, let's learn from the expert himself. Uh, let's get him in here. Hey, Safe. Welcome to The Building Code. Very happy to have you. We always like to kick these things off with just for our listeners. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe your career journey to how you got to where you are today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Uh, I'm a contractor based in Hamilton, Ontario, which is a uh, suburb, I guess, to Toronto. And uh, I started off uh, studying engineering. I then went off to the not quite the Northwestern Territories, but quite north in British Columbia, did the remote location fly in and fly out in mining and metals. And then uh, when I moved back here, I wanted a bit of a life for myself. So I started buying uh, rental properties and then I started fixing them up. That's where I started first getting exposed to renovations and that sector in general. And from there it snowballed uh, and now here we are today. And uh, we have a construction and renovation company that has done over the last three years, 150 units. Wow. Yeah, I always uh, I always find it interesting to ask how people ended up in construction because it's like always two like very extremes. Either they were like born in a family business and knew their entire life that's what they were going to do, or they just like stumbled upon it and had woke up one day and they're doing 150 units in a year. And uh, yeah, so that's that's very interesting to hear. So when you were mining, you said so were you like a mining engineer? Would that have been your official title or? Uh, Not quite. The sector was mining and metals. It's basically any project that has anything to do with you extracting or refining any kind of metal. So up there, they were refining aluminum. And the way you do that is there's a multi-billion dollar uh, facility and uh, each one of the plants or each one of the buildings has a, a group of engineers uh, you know, design engineers and field engineers. So I was one of the junior field engineers. Gotcha. Well, if this was a mining and metals podcast, I would love to dive into that. That's <laughs> extremely interesting to me. Yeah. Well, but instead of diving into mining, let's dive into your company, New Four Construction and Renovations. Can you tell us about how your company got started um, and what your focus is now? Yeah. So we started doing kind of odds and ends on the interior of homes. So it would be flooring projects, paint, 
little bit of trim, maybe some touch up and plaster. From there, the jobs, just because of the area that we're focused in, um, homes are much older in this area. So they need typically extensive rehabs and renovation budgets. So from there, it started spiraling and we started doing even millwork, uh, you know, the kitchen cabinets, the bathrooms, and then we started doing full guts on the interior. After you really take a home down to the studs and rebuild it all again, you have a pretty good understanding of how to do it. We then started uh, working on investment projects, which is the conversions of single family homes to legal duplexes, triplexes. And that's where we got into the really popular uh, garden suites, what we call it here. There's a whole bunch of names for it. It's either tiny home, garden suite, additional dwelling unit, laneway housing, super popular now. It's like you build a house on the back of your home. And a lot of people are doing that right now. My favorite is the granny flat. I know I have two, like my mom and my mother-in-law, they're both grandmas and begging me to build one of these on, yeah. on the back of my house. They can come move in. Yeah. Well, if Steve yeah. ever makes his way down to Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, he can make me a granny You flat. got two leads for you right there. Wow. That's pretty good. It's a pretty productive podcast. It's only good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So what inspired you to get involved with tiny homes? Because I took a look at your website. You've done commercial, you've done home renovations, and then getting into the garden suite. Like, What was it about those projects that appealed to you? The garden suites are like a whole, it's a low hanging fruit, right? When you've already got homes and you've built additions and second stories and done commercial projects, from a technical standpoint, we can do it all. And the natural way that the investments were kind of going is the duplexes and the kind of triplex conversions and really squeezing too many units into one building envelope stopped becoming as feasible as it once was. And now it's a lot more attractive to have like a separate house on the back of the home. So it, it's, we're, I think, right place, right time with the right amount of experience, just everything lined up and it was a very easy market to start going after. We still do everything else, but this is the one thing that everybody wants to talk about is the tiny homes. Yeah, because I feel like it's definitely gained a ton of momentum in recent years. Um, hearing more and more about it, more companies kind of leaning into that vertical specifically. What do you think it is about kind of the industry um, in recent, um, you know, the past few years that's leading towards that kind of gain momentum and people wanting to build more and we're seeing more and more of it? Uh, well, here in Canada, we had a bill that was passed allowing you to build up to four units on any residential address without having to rezone. Wow. So if you don't have to rezone, you don't have to do any you know, minor variances. You don't got to ask your neighbors for permission or anything like that. It makes it a lot more attractive. Now it's just a matter of the constructability. So that's what diverted a lot of people's attention to it. And then from there, those few people that are obviously in different municipalities tried to build them, tried to get a building permits for it. And it's a lot easier than it would have been if you had to rezone the property, of course. Gotcha. We've had uh, a couple people on before that specialize in like the ADU space um, and repurposing like backyards and things like that for additional dwellings. Um, based on some of the stuff that you've told us about, uh, one of the areas that you guys lean into is repurposing garage spaces. Is that correct? That's true, yes. That one, if you have an existing structure in the back, you don't have to build it from scratch and a lot of stuff gets, you know, so to speak, grandfathered in mm -hmm. and it becomes a lot more cost effective. But now you have to have a lot that it has something legitimately in the backyard because if you are building new, you got to build everything to today's standard. 
That's mm. today's cold, today's footings, you know, everything below the frost line. And uh, if it's existing, it's kind of already been there for that long and you can reuse a lot of it. Can you describe a little bit about the market in your area in Ontario and what the demand is like for new homes, renovations? I think across the U.S., we have kind of a housing shortage, and I know that's the case in Canada too, but mm. it varies so much geographically. What kind of market conditions are you seeing? What kind of trends, um, and how have you had to pivot around them? Uh, well, we have an extreme housing shortage here. They're, they're not building enough, and the number of immigrants that are coming in per year has increased. I think it's doubled now to this province to about half a million a year compared to about 250 even just a few years ago, even before COVID. So there's almost double the amount of immigrants that are coming in, and the output of housing is can't, simply can't keep up. So the only way is to retrofit existing housing that's here. So that's it's it's one of those where everything is working out in a perfect time. You have a shortage of housing. There are a lot of people that need housing. So naturally, what are you going to do? You're going to chop up the spaces and still make it work. And the affordability aspect is what I uh, am fascinated by, too, not just for the current residents that could potentially have an additional source of income, uh, but also for the people that are looking for places to buy and, you know, with mortgage rates, at least where they are in the U.S. Oh right gosh, now, just yeah. atrocious. I bought a house earlier this year and I'm suffering for it. <laughs> um, but, you know, having those more affordable options is, uh, you know, just a huge driver in bridging that gap between the kind of supply and demand side. You know what? You're right. I, I, I spoke specifically uh, maybe to the end user or the, uh, sorry, the investor standpoint, but also from the end user, there's a really good functionality portion of this. A lot of people, uh, I think after COVID moved in with family mm -hmm. members. So even if you were out on your own, life became so expensive. A lot of uh, millennials moved back in with family. I forget the numbers, but you know, the numbers were absolutely crazy. A massive chunk of millennials moved back in with their parents. This is a way for people to still move back in but not really moved in, if you know what I right. mean. You're, it's one address, almost one address. It's one plot of land, but it's two separate houses. I was in Twin Falls earlier this year to visit a customer, um, Meg Billings of Meg oh. & Co. Homes, and some of her newer builds, like she had one just with a with a granny flat like on the side or like a built-in mother-in-law suite or a built-in Airbnb, and the house was a pretty modest size. But there is something to say for when your house is designed for you to have mul like multiple family members living in it. What are some of like the design aspects of these spaces that you think of that make them functional, even though they're smaller, because they are built specifically for that purpose of like an additional uh, housing unit in an existing home? Yeah, anything that's a new build is is always going to have better functionality. There, there's many reasons for that, right? If you walk, if you go into let's say the the most popular thing that's retrofitted is a basement. You walk in, the first thing you know, you imagine with the basement already. I'm talking about it. I start ducking. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like you got bulkheads, you got walls all over the place, bulkheads all over the place. You're ducking down different ceiling heights. You walk in, it just doesn't feel like this was purpose built. You know, the windows there's, there's not as much natural light. The garage or the garden suites, these ADUs, once you build them, purpose-built, you come in and you walk into a living room, there's a massive window. There's another one right next to it. They're both open, you know, so you can get a cross breeze going. 
The kitchen is designed exactly where it needs to go. The bedroom is where it's supposed to go. And there's all clean lines everywhere. You don't have like bulkheads and uh, uh, stacks that are bulkheaded in and, and all these corners all over the place. So it just feels like a space that's functional. You know what I mean? If you have a, a bedroom that has f- sort of four walls, right, versus if you have it in a basement and then you have to bulkhead a stack here and this one has low ceiling heights, you can't really put your bed anywhere, right? So now all of a sudden it's same similar square footage, but the functionality is not as good. Right. So that's that's really interesting. How do you, I guess, I don't know, I have a couple questions. So first of all, like, what does the kind of design process look like? Do people typically come to you and say, hey, we just have this space and we want an additional unit there um, and already have a pretty decent idea? Or are they coming to you for more so advice where you've seen a lot of different things uh, with other clients as well, too? And then second part of that question is, do you find it challenging based on the space they have that they want to convert so you mentioned the basement is that a very i have to imagine there are a very different set of challenges trying to repurpose that as opposed to hey i have this giant backyard and want to you know stand up a completely new build yeah the new build those are the best kind of projects if somebody comes to us and they want a new build in the backyard and when they do the first step is they're going to call us they're going to they probably have preferences what they want to do but we'll tell them right away depending on the the municipality that they're in and what the bylaws are what they can build because depending on the municipality you're at you can build as small as 374 square feet Mm. on one level versus in toronto where you can build 645 square feet times two levels, almost 1,300 square feet. Wow. One is almost, you know, more than four times the size of the other. So depends what municipality you're in. We're probably going to come back with you and say, okay, realistically, this is what you can do. Here's some ballpark pricing. Let's start with the design. Yeah. So then uh, is that pretty like back and forth then? Um, or is it it sounds like they kind of lean on you pretty heavily for what's possible and what you think kind of best route is. That's the best choice really, because the last thing you want is someone to just come and say yes to everything. And then you spend these hours, you know, working on a set of drawings and weeks pass by, you submit it to the city and then they're tossing it back saying, what is this? You can't build two stories. here." Right. Yeah. So it's best that you kind of lean on the experts, our designers, they, they understand this stuff inside out. So Saif, what does your day-to-day look like at your business and how has it changed since you started it? Um, it's like a firefighter. It depends <laughs> on the day. There's always fires. So you gotta you gotta put out wherever the fires are. They could be anything. They they really they could be a technical issue in the field. Uh it, it, it could be something that uh, relates with the handover of the project. It could be scheduling, something is not scheduled to be on time, but the homeowner absolutely has a drop then that deadline that they got to move in in two weeks uh, managing resources sometimes it's team members getting along whatever it is it's like you kind of go wherever the immediate urgency is yeah i'm sure uh courtney and i are both looking at each other there like yeah, that doesn't sound anything like our lives <laughs> it sounds exactly like exactly. what we deal with every single day yeah um so so you'd mentioned like how things vary from uh, place to place, whether you're, you know, where you build or, or down in Toronto. Are you guys, are you covering a pretty wide uh, geographical range of where you guys build? Yeah, we cover from Toronto to Niagara, which is about an hour and a half or hour 45 minute drive from wow. each other. Well, it sounds like that's pretty incredibly impressive to be able to keep up with all the different, you know, regulation and bylaws and what's approved in one spot and not the other. 
Yeah, that's true. But you got to do what you got to do. We we also rely heavily on on people that understand this stuff inside out. So right. uh, the designers, for example, we use the exact same designers. We're not always going out to the market, finding the best price and price shopping type of thing. We develop a couple of partnerships and that's the people we stick with because we know job after job, we're learning one after the other and we're going through all the hiccups and they definitely understand it because they're doing a lot more volume. So we lean on them when they need uh, or when we need help. Sorry. What do your partnerships look like with your designers and your subs? Do you have a a big team or do you work with a lot of trades? We work with a lot of trades and we also have a a, a big team in here as well. So right now we have 20 people in house and then we also have a ton of sub trades as well. The regular sub trades, we use the same people. So for example, electrical, plumbing, mechanical, designer, siding, it's the exact same sub trades we use every single time. We do have a backup subtrade sometimes in case they get that busy mm-hmm. for most of the time we lean on those specific people for those disciplines anything that's a little bit more specialty of course sometimes we have to go around and ask around and, and find things like that but that's i would say less than five percent of our work what are some of the lessons you would have or advice for other builders about building partnerships and building relationships you know it it can be hard to find the right partner but when you do you want to hold on to them like what do you do to keep those relationships strong uh, I think uh, if you have a bit of long-term vision, always exercise uh, kind of long-term relationships with other trades. So if you find an electrician and they're great, you like working with them, they pick up the phone, they do what they say, they show up on site when they need to show up on site and they have good work. If their pricing is a little bit off, work with them because sometimes people just tend to look right beneath their feet and they say, well, you know what, this guy charged me more now I'm pissed off, but maybe there's something happening on his end where he's got to cover costs or there's a reason for that. Maybe his unit rates aren't in line. He hasn't been paying attention to material costs, whatever it is. When you find good people, always think long-term and just stick with them and sort of work and grow together. I love that advice. It's sort of like assuming positive intent from your partners and the people that you're working with um, and starting a conversation before you judge, you jump to that, that judgment that can, hurt the relationship in the long run. Yeah, I think uh, this has been, our last like four or five episodes have been around like relationship building and understanding how to find good yeah. partners and things like that. Courtney was actually just out on site. You flew back this morning yeah. looking at the next like location of kind of like a, a, a builder conference that we're trying to hope host to enable those sort of networking and communications and, and win together type things. So even though that wasn't the specific uh, topic of our interview today, it's, it's just, it continues to pop up. Um, having those skilled trade partners in in those relationships. It does seem to be a theme that pops up because like Safe, you said, you have a couple partners that the pricing might be a little higher, but you work with them time after time. They know your projects, they know you. And in a market where there's labor shortages or talent shortages, it's key to have really great partners. So it's Mm -hmm. cool to see you investing in those relationships. Yeah, I think it gives you like real long-term success because this is something that you don't reap the rewards today. You reap the rewards one, two, three, five years from today. You right. know what I mean? Each year more and more when you're working with the same guys, always showing up on site, they know exactly how it's done. Things become way more smooth and it's a well-oiled machine. Then everybody wins. And once your customer's winning, you're winning too. If things are being done quality and on time and you guys are still able to keep pricing somewhat competitive, then you you'll end up in a pretty good place. It's interesting the way you frame that. It's I know you have you're an investor, you're making good like investments in real estate, but 
you're also investing in people and your relationships. So it's sort of a similar mindset, right? Like there's compounding interest on the people that you work with, just like in the moves you make with your business. You're right. And you know, the easiest things to see are typically on a balance sheet. So you many times I have either some friends that are investors and they kind of, you know, they look at the balance sheet, oh, got to cut this back, got to add a little bit more to this. And it doesn't always work like that. There's sometimes things that are in between the lines and you don't exactly see uh, what the direct production is of that expense. You know what I mean? If you're going around and the, the guys or the people in the field aren't being treated well, well, that's not exactly a line item and an expense line item, but you're going to see it in production. So sometimes you have to do things uh, kind of uh, on an emotional basis, as a human basis, and, and, uh, and make sure people are treated well so you can get that kind of production. Yeah, you're, I feel like you're definitely speaking Courtney's love yeah. language right now. We constantly talk about she oversees our brand here at Builder Trend and another really hard thing to quantify on a line item in a PL of like, okay, well, how much ROI are we getting from the podcast or from the yeah. blog post or the builder bond and different things like that? It's like, well, it doesn't have direct revenue component, but we're paving the way. There's that compounding yeah. interest of things continuing to stack up and we'll see the results one year, three years, five years later. Yeah, so. I always wish there was a chart for, you know, how much, <laughs> what people's brand attitudes are or their customer experience. Like, what is that chart when they just love you? The emotion part of it too. And mm -hmm. I think that goes in, I see that theme a lot with our customers and their teams and building teams that are feeling, you know, connected to the mission of, of the, the projects that they're building. Do you think over the course of your career that you've had to grow that kind of mindset when you first started your business? Uh, did yeah. you manage your people differently? Yeah, of course. When you start, it's like a catch-22. You can talk all this, you know, uh, big kind of company culture and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, people pay the bills with the bank account with the almighty dollars. So it's like, it's really hard to disconnect from that at the start because it takes an immense amount of production and correct decisions to get a construction company going. So it's really hard to focus on those things when it still hasn't quite gotten off the ground. You have to reach a certain size first before you can start thinking like that in a very practical sense. And when you made the, the dive into these garden suites or these tiny homes because you've done a great like a wide amount of different types of projects was there a bit of change management that happened had to happen with the team to get on board with these different types of projects or were they pretty nimble by that point i would say it's it's always growing and it's always changing and as the, the dynamic of even the project changes and of the team changes, everybody's shuffled into roles where they're more effective. That's what I see. So it's not necessarily about being up or down or mid-level management or sort of higher up. It's about what they say in all these productivity and those coaches, single and best use. So you just see whatever someone's single and best use is and you push them towards that direction because they're going to be a lot happier doing that too. If somebody is an excellent, excellent framer, that doesn't mean you all of a sudden got to give him 10 guys under him. Maybe he doesn't like to manage 10 guys. And now all of a sudden he's not an effective framer. Yeah. Snaps all around. Yeah. Right there for that one. <laughs> no I always tell people don't get too good at something you don't like doing. Cause then they'll, you just get stuck in that role. Right. And so it's great when you can focus on what you are really good at and be successful. 
Yeah, I know uh, we're getting close on time here, but a, a kind of exciting note to end on. You recently shot a pilot episode for HGTV about transforming garages into tiny homes, which is awesome. Can you share any more about that yet, or is it still it's a top wanna, secret? Yeah, top secret. Want to <laughs> wait for the grand reveal? So yes, we're um, we're in talks right now. So so to, to be to kind of clarify, we shot a pilot episode which we produced, and we plan on selling it to HGTV. So um, we've spoken to quite a few producers and networks, and we're sort of in the process. I don't want to say finalizing, but it's still in process right now, and definitely uh, not something that I can openly discuss just yet. Well, that's a perfect little teaser yeah. uh, to keep people on well, the edge I'm of their be seats. Curious. <laughs> And a great segue, hopefully, into, you know, if you ever come back on uh, The Building Code, mm -hmm. we could be after that's released, and then we can dive all into it. Yeah, we can have a watch party. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. We'll fly out to Toronto for it. Yeah. I always try to sneak my way onto business trips any ways I can. I feel like a watch party would be a, a perfect opportunity. Yeah, and we definitely should have it in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> we should come to you. Uh, that would make sense. Well, Safe, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, it was awesome to talk through uh, the tiny home movement, what you guys are doing, and then towards the end there, all about uh, just how you manage relationships, grow businesses, and, and grow um, people as well, too. So really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Charlie, Courtney, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been fun. Well, another fantastic interview. Um, Safe was incredible. I definitely learned a ton. Normally, Zach asked me what I thought, but today, Courtney, what did you think? No, I thought it was a really good interview. We always come into these topics, you know, thinking we know what we're going to talk about. You know, we wanted to dive into tiny homes and how he's grown his business. But I loved our tangent on relationships and, yeah. and people because that's really what makes the world go round is the people you work with, your relationships, your trade partners, your subs. And you can tell that in his experience with his company, he's built some of those soft skills that right. sometimes we don't talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the like organic tangent type topics we dive down always end up being like even cooler than what we were planning on talking about. Um, so we may have to have him on for a second episode, watch the HGTV episode and uh, talk about like relationship management as well too. Yeah. I think it's so funny how many of our customers there's so many that have had, you know, come, come close to fame on HGTV or right. TV show or had a pilot here, but there's so many stories in this industry. Yeah. And I would love to see an episode of one of these garage makeovers. So fingers crossed uh, that we'll see him again in a year at a watch party in Canada. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll invite all of our listeners. Yeah, that would actually be incredible. Um, well, as we wrap up today, Zach and I always struggle with what we're supposed to say on the outro. So I'm going to let you record it here live, how we should end every single episode. Well, we have a podcast group called uh, the Building Code Crew. So hop over to Facebook and join the Facebook group so you can chime in on what kind of episodes you want to hear in the future. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple. And every time you rate and review us, that helps us uh, with our rankings. It helps us keep the show going, keeps, you know, feeding feeding our fire for what we love to do, yes. which is talk to customers and awesome people in the industry. Feeding our fire. There you go. So from now on out, every time that Zach and I butcher the outro, just remember Courtney saying that, and that was perfect. <laughs> Feed our fire. Yes. Until next time, I am Charlie Bertwistle. And I'm Courtney Matern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>